I want to say thank you to uh, Daryl Smith for preaching last week. And um, in our absence, I was at camp with the students in, in Panama City and um, uh, was not responsible for the outbreak of crickets. I just want the record to be, if there's any retaliation, direct that in other directions. Um, but uh, no, we had, a, we had a good time. And uh, our, I think our kids uh, came together and with, with each other. Uh, for sure, and enjoyed that. But I appreciate Daryl Smith preaching in my absence from Matthew 16 there. But uh, we're in First Peter, and uh, a couple of weeks ago we were going to jump into verses 11 and 12 and, and uh, time and things, and I just felt, I felt, I've wanted to do that for a long time, to just read through a book. I feel like we, in, in the time, and we end up chopping these books up and miss the flow of an entire book. And so I hope that was a, a blessing. And I hope it helped you understand even First Peter. These letters were meant to be read in their entirety. But today we're going to look at verses 11 and 12. And, and we've called this today, I don't, I don't, obviously I'm not the most creative person and I don't spend a ton of time, I know some pastors that do, I don't, I don't spend a ton of time thinking about sermon titles. Um, I, ha I have enough going on to worry about what the title of the sermon is. But uh, I, I did think about this, I, I, the idea of pilgrim life. I, I, you, I'm sure if you've driven around town, um, you know, bumper stickers are a big deal. I, I, I read bumper stickers and part of that is my attention issue and it's something for me to focus on. But a lot of, a lot of the, the cool thing now and the popular thing now is to have these bumper stickers on your back window and they'll say, I, I know one that's prevalent is salt life. They'll say salt life or it'll say soccer life or it'll say uh, all these different things. And listen, this is, I don't care about that. I don't, that's morally neutral. So if you're thinking I'm going somewhere with that, I'm not. If you're thinking, man, I got one of those on my car. I don't care. I really don't care. I really don't. Uh, I, I did see some, there were some bumper stickers on our way back from Panama City, Mario can attest to it, that I had to, I just confess, I had to exceed the spin limit slightly because I didn't want our kids reading it and asking questions about it. They can save those for home. I was like, Marty, we got to get out of here. Sorry, we got to get out of here. So forgive me for uh, uh, no children's lives were risked in the protection of their eyes. Um, but what, why do people put those stickers on their cars? You know, they're, they're putting that on their car because whatever they're putting, if it's salt life, if it's soccer life, or if it's whatever life, the point is they're making a declaration that that's, what they're, that's part of what their life is about. They're telling you about themselves. They're telling you about a way that they, that something that is important to them, something that they spend their life on. There, I see people that will have, they'll have Christ's life on there. You know, uh, they're making a declaration. They're, they're telling you through that bumper sticker about themselves. They're expressing themselves. They're telling you about something that, that matters to them. And you could say that about a lot of things. Um, you know, a lot of bumper stickers. And, and, and I won't go into... I, People, people love to express themselves. They love to express things that matter to them. And, and Peter is writing 1 Peter, again, to a group of Christians who have been scattered throughout surrounding areas. They're, they're aliens. They're strangers. They're foreigners. They're, they're not in their hometown. 
And we were in Panama City, and one night we, the, the food wasn't that great at the camp, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go get over, let's go get everybody pizza. And, and we didn't know where one was. We're in a new town, foreign place. We had to find one. You know, the things in Panama City, I've been there before, many of you have, but it's a different place. And Peter is writing to us as Christians who are, he's writing specifically to Christians who are scattered. They're not in their hometown. And the thing that he has preached to them, the thing that he has stressed to them more than anything in this whole letter, everything goes back to their identity. They're in a foreign land. They're in a foreign place. And here's what Peter reminds them of over and over and over again. He reminds them not only of who they are, but he reminds them of whose they are. Even though they were in a foreign territory, even though they were in a foreign land, even though they were in a place where everything may have been opposed to them, Peter goes back to who they are and whose they are. And, and he, has, he has shared with us over and over again our identity as believers, our identity as the children of God, as the people of God. And with that, with that identity comes immense responsibility. What, what he begins to say to us in this letter is that with your identity, he has established your identity. With that identity comes immense responsibility. Every, everything that we read really starting here, really what we read here in 11 and 12 begins the heart of the letter. And, and what he's saying is with your identity, you are the privileged, you are the, the, the precious people of God. With that comes huge responsibility. If you're a believer, you have the privileged status of being the people, the possession of God. And what Peter begins to say is, now what? Now what? Okay, I, I'm the people, I'm a part of the people of God, now what? And again, he sets the foundation for the entire letter here in verses 11 and 12. In the coming weeks, we'll, we'll look at verse 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Why? Because, you're, because of who you are and whose you are. Wives, submit to your husbands. Why? Because of who you represent, whose you are. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Why? Because of whose you are. We, we saw it a couple weeks ago in verse 9. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us from the domain of darkness into marvelous light. How do you do that? Peter's going to tell us. He's going to tell us how we do that. And, and the, the, what makes that difficult, what challenges us there, is that we live in a foreign land. Peter's readers lived in a foreign land. You and I live in a foreign land. Scripture is very clear. This is not our home. We, we are pilgrims. We're, we're simply passing through. We, we are here in, on this earth for a, a brief period of time, and we, and we exist to proclaim the gospel. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us. 
We exist to make much of our king. We exist to expand his kingdom, not to settle into the ways of this world and simply enjoy the ways of the world and think, oh, when I die, I'm still going to go to heaven. We're here on mission. You know, the, the weather and, and all kinds of other things didn't really cooperate this week at camp, but I will appreciate the fact that they stressed to our students the mission aspect of being a believer. E even as middle schoolers and high schoolers, you're a missionary. You exist to declare the glory of the one who has called you. You exist for him. And, and there you are a distinct people of God in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, in the midst of a foreign land. And the challenge, the challenge for you and I as believers, and, and this is what Peter is going to get at, and we got to keep this in mind, the challenge is to maintain your distinctiveness. If you go back to the Old Testament, why all the laws? Why all the, why the 613 Mosaic laws? Why did it matter whether it was a split-hoofed animal or a not-split-hoofed animal? Why did it matter about boiling a goat in its mother's milk or not boiling a goat in its mother's milk? Why did any of that stuff matter? It was to maintain the distinctiveness of God's people. Please hear that. It was to set God's people apart from the culture around them. It was that God's people, namely, would reflect their holy father. You, you go to Leviticus, the why behind everything was that you would be holy. Why? Because your father is holy. We, we've seen that even in 1 Peter 1.15. Be holy because your father is holy. That is a direct quote of Leviticus. Four different times in Leviticus, he says that, be holy. Why? Because your father's holy. And, and oftentimes I get asked questions about that. Well, why this law? Why this law? Why this law? With the, the, the heart behind, not only, I've, certainly the heart behind the law was to expose that we could not measure up, that we were not righteous. Go to Romans. The law reveals that we fall short. The law reveals to us clearly that we're a sinner and that we need a Savior. Part of, but part of it was to, sh to show the holiness of God and that His people would be separate. They'd be distinct from all the nations around them. They were in the midst of a culture that was very opposed to them, and yet the, the, the challenge for Israel was to maintain, maintain their distinctiveness. They failed miserably at that. The challenge for you and I, believer, is to maintain distinctiveness. It's to be different. Please, please understand that. That's the why. That, that you would stand out, that, there would be, that you would be different, not to your own glory, to, but to the glory of your Father. And, and again, why did we call this series weird? There ought to be an aspect of our lives that's weird to the world around us. And that word means supernatural. It means uncanny, un, not normal. We, they, we ought to be weird. Wives, again, we're going to get into it the way we submit to government. The way we submit to, a, to, to cruel bosses. The way we submit to, to undue punishment. The wives, the way you submit to your husbands, husbands, the way you love your wives, children, the way, all of that. Why? 
to declare the excellencies of the one who called us. To maintain a distinctiveness. That the world around you would ask you why. Why do you do that? That's weird. Why do you do that? And if you and I as believers, if we look like the world, if everything we do looks like the world, nobody's asking questions. Because we, the challenge for all of us, listen, I battle it, you battle it. It's common to all of us, we'll see it. The, the war, as we'll see here, the war is not between me and the world, or non-believers. The war is against me and sin. It's me and Satan. You go, to, you go to Ephesians 6, we don't war against flesh and blood. We war against principalities and, and things not seen. We war on our sin. We'll see in a minute. The world out there, non-believers, they're not our enemies. They're our mission field. Satan is our enemy. My sin inside of me, my flesh that wages war against my spirit, that's where the war is. There is a battle to be waged. Listen to me. Lee and I talked about that at camp, and we tried to stress that Thursday night. The bat, there's a battle. And the battle is to maintain our distinctiveness. The battle is to wage war on our sin. To not just settle into this culture. And, and the idea of, of, of pilgrims, of, of our citizenship not being on this, on this place where we live is all throughout Scripture. And what Peter begins to say is, is that this is about your life, my life as a believer is about making much of our God in a foreign world. Advancing God's kingdom in a foreign world. It's not our own. And, and we've got to maintain and what, he'll, what we'll see here, a pilgrim mindset. And, and you'll see on your handout, just trying to keep things simple, the main point. The main point is just that. Believers are commanded to conduct their lives as pilgrims in this present world in order to maintain their identity as the people of God. But also in order to maintain right relationships within a society that is opposed to, that is opposed to Christ and His kingdom. The, the, again, the why, the why is to maintain our distinctiveness in every area of our lives. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, do everything to the glory of God. That, that's, if you ask me, that's weird that those would be the two things that Paul points out of doing to the glory of God. And here's, here's why I think that. Because that's basic to all of us, it's common to all of us, and we do it every day. Down to the most common, mundane, ordinary thing in your life. You know what Paul is saying? Do it to the glory of God. How you eat... How you drink. Do it to the glory of God. Two things that we probably give very little thought to. And, and, and Peter, starting in verse 11, that, that's what he's saying. Distinctive. Even down to how you eat and drink. Beloved, I urge you as aliens, verse 11, and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that 
in the thing in which they slandered you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. This really is Peter's transition to the heart of this letter. He, again, he has gone to great lengths to tell us our identity, and now he says, now what? And he's telling the believers to live with purpose, to live on purpose, to live with intentionality. Thir- listen, 13 times in the New Testament, you see the word conduct used. Conduct, 13 times. Eight of those are going to be in 1 Peter, the remainder of 1 Peter. What does that tell you about your conduct and the emphasis Peter puts on it? Thirteen times that word is used in the New Testament. Eight of them are used by Peter. Listen, how we live matters. How we conduct our lives matter. All the way down to simply how you eat and how you drink. It matters. And you'll see it on your handout, the great temptation, I think there's a typo in this, the great temptation for all of us is to do one of these two things, it should be one of these two things regarding how we approach the world. And this is our response. One of of these two responses are where Christians will find themselves. The first one is to resist society and government totally, and that results in isolation. These are, these, we, we, we've, we've got to resist these. Number one is isolation. Number two, privatize our faith in such a way that we blend in society, which results in conformity. So we tend to either isolate or we tend to just give in and conform. And, need, and, and Peter's saying, don't do either of those. Peter's instructing us here, how do you and I as believers maintain our identity as the people of God? How do we declare the excellencies of the one who saved us? How do we do that in a right relationship to the world around us? So that we can reach them with the gospel. So that we can declare the excellencies of the one who called us. So that we can draw them to the Father. As we're salt and light. Again, the reason behind our distinctiveness, ultimately it goes back to the advancement of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Everything about our lives ultimately is about the glory of God. And God gets glory through our lives in in the advancement of the gospel. Of us proclaiming the gloriousness of the gospel. Through our lives and we'll see it through our words. And we got to avoid either of those extremes, isolation and conformity. And Peter tells us here two different, two different truths, I believe, that, that speak to the how do we live as pilgrims? How do we maintain our distinctiveness as the people of God? And the first thing he says is by abstaining. The word there in the first is abstaining. Abstaining from fleshly lusts of this world that wage war against our souls. How do we maintain a pilgrim mindset? How do we maintain distinctiveness? How do we, how do we continue to let our light shine? It's by abstaining from fleshly lusts. Look at verse 11. Beloved, 
I urge you as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lust that wage war against the soul. I, as a preacher, I've said it before, I love these passages. It's very easy to make an outline. Like, just tell them what verse 11 says. Again, but listen, how does he start the sentence? Beloved. You know what he's doing there? Even here, he's reminding them of their identity. As the beloved people of God. As people who have been called out of a domain of darkness and transferred into the people of God. Abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against your soul. And again, here, again, our mission, you see it on your handout, our mission flows from our identity. It flows from our identity. First thing he says is, you must understand whose you are. Believer, understand whose you are. And from that, you see secondly on your handout, understand how you are to live in light of whose you are. And this, the reality of this is no different. Many of, many of you, at, when you go to work, you have a title. They give you a job title. With that job title comes a what? A job description. Your, your work flows out of your title. The, the why behind, I don't do this and I do do this. Why? Because of your title. He's saying, and, and Peter is saying that, you remind, remind yourselves, remember who you are. You're, you're, a, you're a child of the king. You're beloved by the father. You've been adopted in his family as such. You're an, you're an alien and a stranger in this world. The, the word alien there, it literally means foreigner or exile. It, it's, it, it's a word that is used for somebody who lives in a place that is not their home, obviously, or that their citizenship does not reside there. The, the word stranger there, it, it complements this. It literally means a temporary visitor, someone who is passing through a foreign land with no intention, no intention of becoming a citizen. No intention. It's pilgrim. It's saying you don't, your home is not where you dwell currently. You're in a foreign land. You're on a pilgrimage. You're making a pilgrimage. Philippians 3 says very clearly that our citizenship is in heaven. In, in Hebrews 13, I love Hebrews 13 verse 14, he says, For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Think about that. They oriented everything about their lives about the city that was to come. Not orientation around the city where they presently dwelled. Why? Because their citizenship. We live in a specific way, believer, in order to glorify our king. Why? Because we are pursuing a better city. We're pursuing a city that is to come. Not in light of where we currently dwell. We're on mission. And again, you'll see wage war. There very much is a militaristic idea behind this. You know, 
America deploys soldiers all over the world. All over the world right now, there are soldiers deployed for our safety. Listen, why are they in those cities? It's not to live it up in those cities. It's not to settle down and become residents in those cities for the sake of enjoying everything that's in that city. It's to protect a land that they're not. Even protecting people that they may never met, meet. God, God is deploying, he, he has deployed his soldiers all over this world with the purpose of declaring his excellencies all over this world, of spreading a gospel message that though you are a sinner, you can be redeemed, you can be forgiven, you can be reconciled to a holy God. How? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the, the whole reason. It is to declare the excellencies all over this world. You know, Jesus makes a very odd statement to his disciples in John. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. And he goes on to say, I believe it's in John 16, about greater works that you will do. And you think greater works than what Jesus did. Greater not in quality, greater in quantity. Jesus was in one place with about 12 people for, for, his, for his ministry. Guess what? He left the Father sent the Spirit. Now there are believers all over the world at every place presently. Greater works. The same thing that Jesus did in a very, very small area when he lived, preparing some disciples. Why? So that they would be equipped at his departure to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what they taught this week at camp, Acts 1.8. And he says, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. you, you have power, believer. And that power is not for you to live up this world. It is to declare the excellencies of the one who called you. It's power to complete the mission that God gave you. It's to declare the excellencies of the one who called us. That Listen, I'm so, this is my, and I, we struggle with this. I'm not denying that. But that's why he talks about waging war. My war is to say, I'm going to abstain from fleshly lust because I'm so satisfied in him who called me. I'm so in love. And, and that's why the picture of marriage is so important. I, I, I'm satisfied in one woman to the point where I would ignore all other women. I'm so satisfied in this God, this one true God, that I don't need all that other junk. Why? Because I've, got, I've found the source of living water. I've found the, the one in whom all fullness of life, abundant life actually dwells. And we declare that. How do we declare that? By abstaining. How do, how do you as a husband, dads, declare, declare the, your wife, the excellencies of your wife, by ignoring all other women? That's how you do it. You say, I don't need a... I don't, no, no, I, I have, I'm going to be faithful to the one. And that makes much of the one. That's partially why marriage is used as that example, I believe. And because of that, I wage war. I wage war on this world because it's opposed. The ways of this world. That's why 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things of the world. For if anyone loves the world or the things of the world, guess what it says? The love of the Father is not in them. Strong passage. Strong passage. You know, we can, we can try to massage that and make it say less than it is, but I can guarantee you, any wife, 
If you, you know, if you have an affair and you say, but I still love you, what wife would believe you? No, you don't. Not in a biblical way, you don't. And we can't serve two masters. We, we try hard. Jesus was very clear on that. And we've got to engage. The, the word there on the next filling is engage. We've got to engage this world with a pilgrim mindset. This is not our home. And as a result of that, we wage war on our flesh and the things of this world that would want to draw us away from the loyalty of our, of our God, to our God. And, and, and again, we don't, we don't quite catch this, but in that day, understand culture for a minute. In that day, a foreigner, no matter the circumstances, whether he was in a foreign country by choice or, or not by choice, foreigners did not participate in the customs or the practices of the host culture. They did not participate. They had no privileges. They had no responsibilities as a citizen, as a non-citizen. Why? It was their way of preserving their identity as a foreigner. Of identifying as a foreigner. It was that nation's way of identifying them as a foreigner, but it was also their way of telling others that they were foreigners. So they didn't blend in. And again, what, what Peter is saying is, again, maintained. Why? To maintain your distinctiveness as the people of God. And what he's saying, you see it in your handout, we are to orient, orient every aspect of our lives. Every aspect of your lives orient around your true identity in Christ. Even down to how you eat and drink. There is no, there is no part of our lives that is not to be oriented around our identity in Christ. Oriented around declaring the excellencies of our God. To the point that no matter what you do, you do it to the glory of God. And we abstain, what he's saying is, we abstain from anything, anything that is contrary to who we are, to who we are in Christ. And, and Peter uses imagery of warfare. The word war there, it means constant, fierce struggle. Constant, fierce struggle. There will never come a time in my life as a believer, there will never come a point in time in your life as a believer where you get to a point where you do not have to readily wage war on your flesh. Where you do not readily have to wage war on your sin. Where you don't, you, you, you watch a fight, you watch a boxing match. What, what happens in the later rounds? What happens to their gloves? They start dropping. They start dropping. And what happens when the gloves drop? That's when you get knocked out. Perseverance. Fight. War. That picture is used throughout Scripture. Perseverance. Do not lose heart, it says, in doing good. What's our tendency is to tire. Part of why we gather here as believers is to encourage each other to get your, get your hands back up. Lift your hands back up. Hey, you know what? I'll lift your hands up for you for a little while while you regain your strength. That's what it means to be a body. For the rest of our lives, 
We, we stressed to our students this past week the import of reading and studying God's Word. Where, where does our strength come from to keep, our, to keep our gloves up? Where does our strength come from to keep fighting? From the Word. It's from the Word. The Spirit is our power. How is the Spirit fueled? Through the Word. Colossians 3.16, that the Word of God, he says, may richly dwell within you. Psalm 119, 9-16, how can a young man keep his way pure, a young woman keep his way pure? The Word. It's the Word. And everything, again, everything goes back to our identity. Why do we wage war on certain things? Because of our identity. Why do your kids, think about it, why do your kids, why do you allow them or not allow them to do certain things? Because they're your kids. My dad used to always say to me, listen to me, son, remember this, you're a Basham. We lived across the street from the Hearts. They had a huge family. They always had just crazy amounts of food. They had a lot of kids. They had crazy amount of food. I distinctly remember they had these chips, these potato chips that came in this container that, I mean, I just, like any chance I could get my hold on. And my mom, just for whatever reason, she never bought those things. First of all, there was about 900 gallons of them. She's like, Chris, there's three of us. We'd never eat them all. And I would ask, well, why do they do this? Or why do they... Because their last name is Hart. Your last name is Basham. Identity. Identity. Peter's saying everything, everything about our lives as Christians goes back to our identity. To maintain our distinctiveness as the people of God. For us to understand why we're here. We're here on a mission. We've been placed here for the advancement of the kingdom of God, not to settle down and just enjoy all the accoutrements of this society and live as everybody else lives. The temptation for us is to put our guns down and just start frolicking with the world and forget why we're here. The first thing, again, the first thing Peter says is you maintain your pilgrim mindset by abstaining, abstaining, not toying, not, not seeing how close you can get to them, not fooling around with them, abstaining, waging war on fleshly lusts. The second thing he says is the, the positive. That's kind of the negative. Then he immediately gives the positive. We maintain a pilgrim mindset by pursuing a lifestyle consistent with who we are in Christ. Look at verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. The word behavior there, he, the word conduct, it, it, it's, it's a, a, a way of life. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's not, it's not, what we, it's not just what we do on Sunday mornings. It's not just on Wednesday nights. It's not just when we're around other believers. It's not just when people are watching. He says, it's your lifestyle. Lifestyle. Again, Christianity, glorifying God, is not something that we do for a little while and then we stop and then we're going to... No, no, no. A lifestyle. It's a complete orientation of our lives around our King. 
And, and our lives, he says, should be marked by good deeds which conform to the character of our Father. Again, huge point. Not to earn our salvation. These flow out of our salvation. These good deeds are not earning our identity with our King. They're because our identity has been graced to us on behalf of our King. And therefore, we live in a certain way. We're not, these are not to earn your, or merit favor with God. If you think you can do that in your own quiet time this week, go to Isaiah 64, 6, and you'll see real quickly that even our deeds done in righteousness are but filthy rags before the holiness of God. Listen, the best I got to offer in my own flesh, filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. That's why we do things out of the strength that God provides. That's why we live spirit-filled lives, because God is real good at being God. Me and my flesh, not so good. That's why we're to be spirit-filled. Take it a step further, that's why we have to be word-filled. The challenge for many of us, and we challenged our students with this, maybe Thursday night, I don't know, you lose sleep and all the days grow together. It's like a blur. The Christian, it, it's not me imitating God. It's God imitating God through me in the power of the Spirit. It's me relinquishing my life, surrendering my life to God's control. And through the Word of God, that's my part. I fill myself with the Word of God. The Spirit of God in me is, begins to fill me and control me and overtake me and power me. And then God imitates Himself through me. Because when I try to do it on my own, guess who gets the credit? But when God does it through me, guess who gets the credit? We play a part. This, no, none of this let go, let God stuff. We play a part, wage war, so that God would get glory. And, and again, the goal of our behavior is to maintain our identity as the people of God, no matter the cost. It's to declare the excellencies of Him. The number one concern here for Peter is that these believers live rightly among non-believers and maintain their identity as the people of God. And, and this is huge. The, the, the next fill-in there is huge. You and I, believers, we must continually be concerned for the church's reputation among non-believers. Please hear me. You see this all throughout Scripture. And again, go back to your family. When your kids go to school, guess who they reflect? You as parents. Samantha nodding her head. Good or bad? Good or bad? The, those people who watch your kids, you know, they make... They make judgments and discernments on you as parents through your kids what matters what doesn't matter what's important what does not important what you value you know i, I we're blessed with two great kids and and you know i i'm i'm i know i share some of their hang-ups sometimes and to make illustrations and i I'll brag on Bradley just for a minute. And, and this is, I, was, I haven't said this before, but I, it's not even my notes, but I think it fits in. 
we went to the 6th and 7th grade awards night. And they're giving out all kinds of awards. And, and Bradley excels academically because of his mother's genes, thankfully. Takes after her in a lot of ways, thankfully. And then they got these superlatives. Most creative, most this, most that, whatever. They go down, and so the peer, their peers and their teachers voted on these things. And they call out an award, Most Integrity, Bradley Basham. You know, I told him afterwards, you could throw, you could throw the president's honor roll away. You can throw all those other things away. Integrity. My son, this year, was known for his integrity. And, and God created a great opportunity for us to, to speak to him and to challenge him. And he said, you know, he even said, Dad, that's what you're talking about being weird, you know, in First Peter. But, but what are you known for? What, 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 is, what is our great king known? You know, that reflected, there was, there was, I'll admit it, I took great, there was a great amount of pride, I hopefully good pride, in my son being recognized for that. Because that reflects on his mom and I, for better or worse. You and I, you and I, how we conduct ourselves. What if he would have got biggest goof off? Most delinquent, Whatever. But I'm saying, what, what award would we get? What, what's recognized? What does the world re recognize about us? That's what Peter is saying. L live in such a way that in, in the thing that they slander you, literally another passage in the Bible says that these evildoers, they will be shut up. They'll have nothing bad to say about you because of how you conduct your lives. Literally, that if they accuse you of wrongdoing, you go to Ephesians 5, he says that, that no hint of evil would be named among you in Ephesians 5.3. Not even a hint of immorality named among you. That, that if we were accused of foolishness, it would be so out of line with the character of Christians that even the world would say, that's the dumbest thing. You, that, is, that is totally out of line with, that, with Christians. I know a bunch of them that is totally out of line, out of character with how they live their lives. All to, to the excellency. I mean, that's clearly what he's saying. Because there's coming... Listen... Matthew 5.13, let your light so shine before men that in seeing your good deeds they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. They may not serve our God, they may not worship our God, but they better not malign our God because of our lives. Because we're here to represent our King. And the goal, again, it's the advancement. You see it, the gospel is to be proclaimed through our words, but supported through our lives. You know, he's not saying don't proclaim the gospel verbally. He's saying your verbal proclamation will be supported by how you live your life. And I read a story this week about somebody had written into an editor and they were complaining that they were the only believer in their office. 
And, and I thought the, the, the editor made a great pers- had a great perspective in writing back, and I won't read the whole thing, but he wrote back to this individual and said this. Let's say that you weren't, in, and this person worked at a newspaper, and, and they were complaining that they were the only Christian. He says, let's say that you weren't on the newspaper staff, but that you were a CIA plant in an enemy territory. Would you be complaining that you were the only one there? Or would you be rejoicing that your government had placed you in such a strategic position as to win others for your king? Different perspective. You're going to be... there. Listen... You're going to be the minority in a lot of places. We can complain about it. We can mope about it. We can just whine about it. Or we can take advantage of it to the glory of our king. You, you have been strategically planted where you are, in the school you are, in the neighborhood you are, in the workplace you are, in the social clubs you are. Not for the advancement of the things of this world, for the advancement of the gospel. To make much of your king. Our work ethic, our study habits, our integrity, our manners, all those things. Listen, there ought to be something different all to the glory of our king. I'm not saying you've got to get straight A's to be a Christian. That is not. Listen. Some, some kids, I would bet there are kids who work harder and are more disciplined and get C's and B's and maybe even lower than some people to get A's. Some people just comes easy. That's not what I'm saying. But you, your, your, your ethic, your, your lifestyle ought to be exemplary in whatever you do. It ought to stand out. Just like what we saw in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, it ought to be done with excellence to the glory of your king. Whatever it is. And, and in order to proclaim the awesomeness of our God. And, and what Peter reminds his, his readers here of, and he reminds you and I of, is two things. Number one, God is watching. God is watching. He's mindful. He's not aloof. He's not distant. But number two, the world is watching. The world's watching. And, and the challenge, the, the challenge Peter puts out for all of us to is to seek to live lives. You see it in your handout. That the world around us will praise the Lord now rather than later. There's a day coming when every single one of us are stand before God in judgment. What Peter is saying is, look, live your life in such a way that they will praise Him in the day of judgment. That they will glorify God in the day of visitation. So they will not shrink away. And even even 1 John 2, talking to believers, says, live in such a way. He says very clearly, live in such a way that even you as believers will not shrink back at the appearance of your king. Listen, believer, 
Do not live in such a way that you will be ashamed as it is appearing. Non-believer, the cry, I'm begging you as an ambassador, repent, turn to Jesus today, so that when he comes back, you will be prepared to stand before him, that your sins would have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. There is salvation in none other than Jesus Christ. That's not a popular thing to say. That's not a cool thing to say in our culture. But listen to me, it's true. There's one way to come to the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ. And time is short. There's no time for games. We can have fun. I'm not saying that, but we don't have time to waste. There are, there are people around us who need to hear the gospel The days are short. And you and I have been positioned in such a way as to proclaim the excellencies of one who called us in that that place today. Fight the temptation to settle down. Fight the temptation to forget that you're a pilgrim. Fight the temptation to forget the temporariness of the culture and the world in which we currently live and the eternality of that land in which we are going to be given as believers. Live as pilgrim. Make much of the gospel. Make much of the one who through that gospel has made much of you.